Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Jesus 911. Version most powerful radio. Two man car. Jesse and Ruben. We're going to give you some intel, some Catholic intel. Good morning, Jesse. It's good to be back. Hey, bro. Good morning. Uh, welcome back, Ruben. And I'm reporting for duty. I am 10 8. Amen. Hey, let me just mention that uh, the, uh, the month of March is the month uh, devoted to St. Joseph, patron saint of workers, families, homes, the happy death, and terror of demons. Uh, the month of, in the Catholic Church, every month is dedicated to a different aspect of Catholic life. And so this month is dedicated to St. Joseph, uh, and uh, who's the head of the family. And uh, also, he's still the patriarch right now. He's still the, 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 the patriarch of, of, uh, of every Catholic family. And uh, it's just good to end your prayers by saying, St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. It's just a good way to end all your prayers. Right. And, t- and today, uh, today starts the uh, novena to St. Joseph. So you might, uh, if you're considering that, I know I'm going to add that to my prayers. The novena to St. Joseph. Jump on board. Yeah. Absolutely. We invite you. Yeah. So that's, uh, let's get into this one, Jesse. The Dies Irae. If you haven't heard this uh, in, a, in a Requiem Mass, it's it's beautiful. I've had the opportunity to hear this um, sung, chanted very, you know, it's it's like you're you're in another world, you know, otherworldly. You're not going to hear this. Uh, this is just beautiful. Um, so it's a, it's an... An article that talks about do, why we still need it, the Diazire, which is the day of wrath. And, and uh, in the 13th century, the sequence was preparing us for the final judgment. It was composed by, we, they, they're not even sure, but it was proposed. Composed, by several people, yeah, huh? Maybe Francisco Friar Thomas of Solano or the Dominican Friar Latino Malambranca Orsini or even St. Bonaventure Bernard of Clairvaux or Pope Gregory I. Whoever its author be, it's haunting chant melody stays with one and is made even more poignant by a salutary meditation on the text itself. And we'll maybe we... Yeah, we'll read the text. We'll have time to do it. Yeah. Okay, so Mozart, of course, put the Diaziri, not the whole text, but a few verses in his final work in 1791, the incomparable Requiem, just before his death, and it was left incomplete and finished off by his pupil Franz Xavier Susmeyer, whose own genius is signified by the fact that it's difficult even... For experts to tell when, even now, whose part is whose. One thing we do know is that its resounding power echoes through the ages, and I am thankful we had the opportunity to sing this work with our scola a number of years ago during a traditional requiem mass in a glorious church in Quebec. Quebec, Canada, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so sadly, the Dies Irie, which used to be de rigueur in the liturgy for funerals and such, and it was normal, it was just common, uh, it was taken out in the liturgical reform after Vatican II, led by Cardinal Bonini, who was a Mason, who explained his defi- decision to take out this prayer, the Dies Iri, as follows. He says this. This is Bonini, the Mason. Quote, They got rid of texts that smacked of a negative spirituality inherited from the Middle Ages. Thus, they removed such familiar and even beloved texts as Liberame, that means deliver me, Domine, which means Lord, Dies Irae, Day of Wrath, and others that emphasize 
overemphasize judgment, fear, and despair. These they replace with texts urging Christian hope and arguably giving more effective expression to faith in the resurrection. <clears throat> Here's my problem, Ruben, with this is that is that they went probably from one end to the other. They should have kept this beautiful dearest era. And we'll 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 pray it right now. We'll the whole the whole text. But that that doesn't mean that you can't include, I mean, a homily on the resurrection or some readings on the resurrection to give the family hope. In other words, it's not either or, it's both and. People have to know about God's day of wrath. People have to know about their particular judgment, that it's final. But then you also want to give people a message of, by the way, our hope is in the promises of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. And so it's not either or. I think it's both both and. The article says, just so we, along with Friar Solano and Herr Mozart, and just about every Catholic who came before us, may respectfully disagree with his eminence and still sing it, and sing it we should. These chants are still a regular part of the Usus Antiquor, the old mass, the Latin mass. Whatever you may, wherever you may find, wherever you may now find one, perhaps if there ever is another liturgical reform, a future cardinal or a pope, after whatever events we must face in these latter days, we will, we should, we'll put the sequence back into the mass, as quite a fitting expression of our faith, and a preparation for that judgment. We all must face. Yeah. So let's let's go through the English uh, translation. Uh, the st- yeah. We'll go to the the, the one that's uh, right in the middle. If you see the. You got it. Okay. Go ahead. You do one uh, paragraph. I'll do the other. I all think right. it's beautiful. Drop dead beautiful. Okay. Here we go. Day of wrath and doom impending. David's word with sibyls blending. Heaven and earth in ashes ending. Oh, what fear man's bosom rendeth when when from heaven the judge descendeth. On whose sentence, sentence all dependeth. Wondrous sound the trumpet flingeth. Through earth's sepulchres it ringeth. All before the throne it bringeth. Death is struck and nature quaking. All creation is awaking. To its judge an answer making. Lo, the book exactly worded wherein all hath been recorded. Thence shall judgment be awarded. When the judge his seat attaineth, and each hidden deed arraigneth, nothing unavenged remaineth. What shall I, frail man, be pleading, who for me be interceding, when the just are mercy needing? King of majesty tremendous, who dost free salvation send us, fount of pity, then befriend us. Think kind, Jesu. My salvation caused that thy wondrous incarnation lead me not to reprobation. Faint and weary, thou hast sought me on the cross of suffering, bought me. Shall, shall such grace be vainly brought me? Righteous judge, for sin's pollution, grant thy gift of absolution ere the day of retribution. Guilty now I pour my moaning, all my shame with anguish owning. Sparrow, God, thy suppliant groaning. Through the sinful woman shriven, through the dying thief forgiven, though to me a hope has given. Worthless are my prayers and sighing, yet, good Lord, in grace complying, rescue me 
from fires undying. With thy sheep a place provide me, from the goats afar divide me. To thy right hand do thou guide me. When the wicked are confounded, doomed to flames of woe unbounded, call me with thy saints surrounded. Lo, I kneel with heart submission, see, like ashes, my contrition, help me in my last condition. All that day of tears and mourning, from the dust of earth returning, man for judgment must prepare him, spare, O God, in mercy spare him. Lord, all pitting, Jesus blessed, grant them thine eternal rest. Amen. Reuben, uh, this it, we didn't do it justice, obviously. We read it in English. Mm-hmm. But when you hear it sung in Latin, which you could on the Internet, or have you ever, ever been to a scola and heard them sing this, it is absolutely beautiful. Unfortunately, as a result of Annabel Bunini taking this out, now we hear in most funeral masses, everybody's dressed in white. Um, there's more of an emphasis on the resurrection which is a good thing. I, I, uh, the, the resurrection should be brought into a funeral mass, obviously. But I think also the dark colors that used to be used, it's a good thing to remind people of death, judgment, heaven, and hell, mm-hmm. and about, again, judgment day at the end of time, our particular judgment of that soul. Uh, I, I, I think that we have become a softer, weaker Catholic faith as a result of taking the Dies Eri out of the funeral liturgy. I don't think it's lifted up the church. I think... Uh, I think it's lowered the bar. That's my take. You, when you're reading this, when we're reading it, I, I just got the uh, the feeling that this is like a like a perfect act of contrition. You know, he's the author is just pouring his heart out to our Lord and for you know um, for just to find favor to to be able to uh, avoid what uh, what looms him. But um, it's a it's it's a nice uh, way of going out. I think this. I'd love to have this song at my funeral. I, I, oh, I'm sure you will. I, knowing, knowing you, you'll, you'll, have, you'll have it written down somewhere. I have to put it in my uh, my will. I'm surprised or you haven't my, already done it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, uh, Ruben, I, I this uh, Dies Irae, this Day of Wrath song prayer. I was talking to Kyle Clement yesterday, who's Father Ripperger's uh, right hand. He's his administrator and facilitator for his exorcism team in Denver, Colorado. Uh, and so he, he's been working with Father for the last 15 years, side by side with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yesterday I asked him, what is one thing that you would recommend that we do right now as a result of this war that we have over in Ukraine, mm-hmm. over in Russia, the borders of Russia, over in Europe? Uh, you know, I think the globalists want, want to start World War III. He said, Jess, he says, every Catholic should pray the Dies Irae every single day throughout this war for everybody who's dying and also for your own soul, that we that in case something happens to us, that we're ready. So I'm going to tell you this. If Kyle Clement said that, I know where he got this from. Mm. He got this from Father Ripperger. Yeah. That, 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 trust me, everything Kyle says, he gets it from Father Ripperger, who's his boss. <laughs> and so Kyle said, every Catholic should be praying the dearest every day as part of your morning or evening prayer. That's beautiful. Another one I like is the De Profundis. Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. First segment done. We're coming back on this side of the break. We'll be talking about baptism. Are the words important? We'll be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. 
If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jess Romero, Ruben Nava. We're talking now about why it's important to get the right words, especially during the sacrament. Ruben, uh, you've probably seen it, but a lot of the Catholic left, they play with the liturgy, they play with the words that are prescribed in, 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 again, liturgical prayers. And there's one more instance that happened here in Phoenix, Arizona. We'll talk about it. But let me, let's go through this article here. It's called Intention Matters, Baptized by the Water and the Right Words. Okay. <clears throat> one of the most beautiful aspects of our Catholic faith is a strong incarnational basis. That is incarnational in the sense of relating in a tangible, concrete way to physical, flesh, fleshy, fleshly, beings such as ourselves. This is especially evident in the centrality of the sacraments in the life of the church. All sacraments, by definition, involve both matter, that is, the physical stuff, such as bread and wine used in the Eucharist, and even the sound waves involved in speaking aloud one's sins in the sacrament of penance, and form, matter and form, the proper uh, prayers to be said during a sacrament's celebration. Recently, a priest in Arizona made headlines when he resigned after admitting to having attempted to baptize using a form other than the standard given to us by the church. These baptism ceremonies are now known to have been invalid because he was using an incorrect formula, pronouncings. He's been doing this since 2005. He's a Hispanic priest. He says, we baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit rather than I baptize you. An attention-grabbing as this new story is, it's actually reminiscent of a similar story from a few years ago when a young priest realized that his own baptism had been invalid due to the use of the same incorrect words. My take is this priest was, uh, I think he was, I'm almost positive that he was formed in Mexico in seminary. Uh, again, just it shows goes to show you the malformation of, of a lot of Catholic priests in seminaries after 1965. And uh, shame on people for not catching this. He's been doing this since 2005. You figured somebody would have said, listening to him do the baptismal rite, a deacon or a family member that's, that knows his faith at some level said, hey, hey, Father, you said we, and it's supposed to be I. I mean, it, it, look at this, 2022, he's been doing this in 2005. It's, it's a nightmare here in the Diocese of Phoenix, I'll tell you, Ruben, because they're calling everybody up that he's baptized. Some people are dead. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, this is this is a, this is why you got to stick to what the church says and not use ad libs or 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 you know try to spice it up a bit and gin it up a bit. Go ahead, Ruben. Yeah, you're right, Jess. They've been uh, trying to trying to contact some of these people, but you know, all those years, people's phone numbers change, they move, and but they have they gave them a response. The CDF, you know, uh, the Doctrine of the Faith, CDF, they issued a response. Or clarification, and uh, basically the bottom line is um, that whether these, these persons for whom baptism was celebrated with this formula must be baptized in forma absoluta. That's first. First of all, that's n- not um, you know, it's it's they have to be baptized. Absolutely is basically w- what they're saying. It's not conditionally. So you, you know, sometimes you, when you don't know when someone's baptized, uh, like let's say a. a uh, Protestants coming into the Catholic Church, and we don't know what form their uh, their church used. We, you know, they may do a conditional baptism, 
or they can't find his records, you know, and um, and so they'll do a conditional baptism. I had a friend who was uh, baptized in Mexico, and and they couldn't find his records, although he he had pictures of himself being bab- uh, you know, in a baptismal outfit. So uh, I was pretty sure they baptized him, but the priest didn't take any chances and and just did a conditional baptism. And uh, so, but in this case, they're saying the forma absoluta, and absolutely they've got to do this. And uh, yeah, you wonder about the, all those those kids that have passed away or adults that have passed away by now, and and what's going to happen to them? And um, Jesse, you think? Uh, yeah, well, let's we can leave yeah, here, that to our Lord. But yeah, here here's what I would say. Uh, this is also uh, this is taught by uh, the, the the scholastic fathers of the church. They'll say. Uh, Obviously, God has bound himself to the sacraments. Right. We know that. God has bound, but God is not bound by the sacraments. So, what does that mean? If somebody, through no fault of their own, like an, an instance, like I think this would apply in this instance. I mean, they took their baby to get baptized, and the priest just did it wrong. Yeah. Um, it, it, it would be like, for example, baptism is necessary to get to heaven, but St. Dismas wasn't baptized. So, we could apply, let's just say, to St. Dismas. Uh, God has bound himself to the sacraments. In other words, St. Saint, Saint Dismas, being a follower of Christ, should have received the sacraments. But God's not bound by the sacraments. In other words, God can circumvent his normal, his normal sanctifying seven channels to get you to heaven because of, again, exigent circumstances, no fault of your own. Mm-hmm. A priest does it wrong. So, I mean, at this point, obviously, we're just going to leave it to the mercy of God. But that's the way I would explain it theologically. So let's continue. Okay. So declaring that a category previously thought to be baptized people are actually unbaptized would seem in one sense to be rather shocking and rightly so. As Canon 849 of the Code of Canon Law tells us, baptism is the gateway to the sacraments and necessary for salvation. Just to give those, you know, maybe um, people don't recall their, their Baltimore Catechism, you know, baptism washes away original sin and brings us into the family of God. Uh, there's no actual sin that the babies commit, but but uh, the, the the because they were our first parents led us into this um, this life, and we're uh, we're 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 a little stuck with what they caused over there. So, yeah, because they they actually committed what's called original sin, uh, the original, Adam and Eve. Yeah, yeah, the original sin. So we're all affected uh, as a result of their original sin. It's been transmitted down the family tree of the human race. Yeah. But people don't want to hear, hey, your your kid is uh he's a child of the devil. You know, we gotta get him back. <laughs> hey, you don't want to hear that, you know. Ruben, in Hispanic so, in Hispanic communities, they know that like the older folks, they'll say uh they'll say, for example, hurry up and baptize your, your baby and take off his horns. They'll say, Quítale los cuernos, quítale los cuernos. <laughs> That's common amongst the generation before us and before that generation. They understood the theology of baptism. Not now. Now people say, oh, I'm going to wait till he's 18 and he can decide what he wants right, to do. Yeah. Jesse, and the kid's walking around with horns the whole time, you know. What would you say, Jesse, to the, those who would say, well, uh, yeah, uh, we, we, we want to make sure that he, takes, he makes his decision for himself, like in non-Catholic churches. We don't baptize infants. Uh, here's what I would say. I, I would say that in the Old Testament, uh, Jewish babies, they were not asked to be part, to be brought into the covenant family of God. It was something that mom and dad did for them on the eighth day after they were born. They would take them to the temple. Obviously, for the boys, there would be an additional, hmm. uh, an additional rite that would cons- uh, that, all, that would also be uh, 
called circumcision. Mm -hmm. But they were taken, the Jewish babies, eight days after they were born by mom and dad for ritual consecration in the temple of Jerusalem to Yahweh so you could enter into the covenant family of God. And so Catholics, we do the same thing that's been happening for 4,000 years. This is the tradition of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And that, in fact, that's what they did with our Lord himself. Right. Uh, not, not that he needed to be uh, you know, brought into the covenant family of God. He is the family of God. He's the second person of the Trinity. But they brought him to the temple so he can fulfill all righteousness. So that's what I would say, Reuben. We follow the biblical pattern yep. of the Old Testament and of the Holy Family. That's right. And, you know, all families were being brought to be baptized, you know, in the book of Acts. So it didn't say except for kid, children, you know. So, that's right. right. Whole families. Yep. So... Anyway, let, let, let me mention one thing real quick about uh, what happened here in Phoenix. And uh, the Catholic left, Ruben, they don't care about mm. about being faithful to the prayers of the church. I'll tell you why. Um, two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, I, I saw uh, Father James Martin. Very painful to call him that. Uh, but uh, you saw he's him got over a, there. No, he's got a big Twitter following. Oh, and so on Twitter, he's got way over a million followers. He put on Twitter. He was criticizing the Diocese of Phoenix, criticizing the bishop out here for, you know, hey, man, what's the matter with the Phoenix Diocese? What do you mean you have to be baptized everybody all over again? Get over it. Why are you guys making such a big deal about words? So James James Martin came out against the Bishop of Phoenix, the Diocese of Phoenix, Bishop Olmstead. Not by name, but he was saying the Bishop, you know, the Bishop of Phoenix, why does he want to rebaptize everybody? Why is he so such a stickler for words and stuff? Who else did that? Another Catholic leftist named Father Ed Beck. He's the leftist, that, uh, priest leftist, modernist that always comes out on CNN. He also, I mean, you know, was on CNN, primetime news, criticizing Bishop Olmsted, not by name. He said the bishop of the Diocese of Phoenix. Well, we, well who, who, who was he talking about? Right. You know, what, why is he such a stickler about words? What do you mean you have to baptize them again? Get, get over it, you know? So... Uh, yeah, Ruben, the Catholic left, they don't put, they don't care what the church says. They just make up things as they go. They have no problem ad-libbing the church's liturgical prayers. Right. Well, this comes right to the next paragraph is here. It says, some might argue that the CDF statement was rather alienated, alienating or at least very unpastoral in its incisive clarity. At first glance, it might seem that the church via the congregation of the doctrine of the faith is obsessively hung up on a single word to the extent that it it is apparently willing to pull the rug of sacramental grace out from under some members of the faithful. Yet one thing that might help out put this in more intuitively understandable perspective is to recall that the church's sacramental theology, like her theology in general, is actually a, quote, science, according to the traditional use of the term. Although today we often think of the sciences as empirical sciences, such as biology or chemistry, Traditionally, a science is any body of knowledge based on objective, knowable truths. Yeah, that's why St. Thomas Aquinas calls theology the queen of sciences. Mm. Yep. Uh, the sacraments are objective science, scientific realities in that they function independently of any of our feelings, opinions, or personal business biases. To attempt to draw an analogy, just as gravity is a natural force that causes objects to fall to earth in certain given ways, Regardless of how useful or inconvenient we find it, so too do the sacraments impart their effects accordingly only to their own nature and not according to the ways different individuals across history have thought they should work. Right. 
As Canon 840 tells us, the sacraments of the New Testament were instituted by Christ the Lord and entrusted to the church. In other words, the sacraments were instituted by the, the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ, and are merely placed into the care of the institutional church, which serves as their guardian and steward. Go ahead, Ruben. Mm-hmm. So as the sacraments come to us as instituted by Christ, no one individual, not even a priest, can presume to alter them or their formula in any way. Or as Canon 841 puts it, since these sacraments are the same for the whole church and belong to the divine deposit of faith, it is only for the supreme authority of the church to approve or define the requirements for their validity. This means that only the Pope, at times with assistance of appropriate dicastery of the Roman Curia, i.e. appropriate Vatican Department, can definitely discern which specific types of matter and formula are responsible and suitable. Still, it is important to keep in mind that this is truly a discernment, a careful consideration of whether the particular matter or form actually reflects Christ's intentions. Essentially, this is what the CDF did in 2020 when it recognized that we baptisms are not valid. And we'll we'll be, be right back. Pick up on the other side of the break. Continuing. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911. Intention matters. Baptized by the water and the right words. So we're talking about this uh, priest who baptized everybody since 2005 um, with the wrong uh, form, used the words we baptize as opposed to I baptize, because that's actually he's he's standing in for Christ. He's it's Christ who's baptizing us into, and so he's he's the uh, the representative that's baptizing you, you know, for Ru- Ru- Christ. Yeah, Reuben, the only we part of it there is the, the only we necessary, and uh, and it's not part of the formula; it's just part of the theology. Is in fact the catechism talks about it in paragraph twelve fifty three. Baptism is is a sacrament of faith, but faith needs the community of believers. It is only within the city uh, of the faith of the church that each of the faithful can believe. The faith required for baptism is not a perfect and mature faith of the individual, obviously, but a beginning of what is called to develop. The catechumen or the godparent is asked, "What do you ask of God's church?" The response is faith. So the only community aspect of is there is mom and dad and the godparents and them ascertaining that they want their, their, their child to receive faith and baptism and want to be received into the church. That's the community aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But the priest, like you said, he's in persona Christi. He does the baptism by, by in the person of Christ, not with the help of the community. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the last part of the article says that uh, even a grade school level of catechesis on the sacrament knows that besides proper matter and form, a valid sacrament is also dependent on the correct intention of the minister. For baptism in particular, intentionality plays a strong role. So so strong, in fact, that even a non-Catholic or non-Christian can validly baptize as long as his or her intentions match the church's understanding of baptism, as is noted in Canon 861. Uh, section two, which tells us that in a case of necessity, any person with the right intention confers baptism licitly. So you let's say uh, a, a Muslim comes up the side of the road and 
there's he, there's a guy who's in a car wreck and he's he's dying, and he asks the the Muslim to baptize him. You know, um, because he hasn't been baptized. You know, that's uh, the bat. It would be a valid baptism as long as he's the the Muslim is trying to do what the church is is wants to do is you know to give them the sacrament. Um, that, Ruben, that's why, by the way, a lot of a lot of first responders have baptized people. Yeah. I've seen it. I've been around it as, as myself. You, I'm sure you've seen it. I baptized my, someone. Yeah, yeah. My, my, I baptized a baby also. You know, years ago, uh, that they pull out of a a, a jacuzzi mm. that had been there for a few minutes. My wife has seen it. Uh, I'm sure she's probably done it herself. So. Yeah, people that are first responders that are seeing people in life and death situations, oftentimes, uh, if you know your faith, you know you you just you just do it. Or or if you're asked by somebody, the family members, of course you're going to do it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, so yeah, they, by changing the to we baptize you, it's it's uh, um, it does reflect at least some level of intention to to change the nature of the sacrament. We baptize you would presumably express an intention to emphasize a community aspect of baptism, implying that the sacramental grace is conferred by the entire Christian assembly as opposed to the priest in this instance. Like just what Jesse was saying when he read that uh, verse out of the Catechism. Being the minister of the sacramental grace, or as the doctrinal, doctrinal note attached to the CDF response states, it is reasonably assumed that those who elected to change the wording of the baptismal formula did so Quote, in order to express the participation of the family and of those present and to avoid the idea of concentration of a sacred power in the priest to the detriment of the parents and the community that the formula in the ritual Romano might seem to imply, end quote. Yeah, let me just mention that the reason we, we people can't use we baptize because that's not what our Lord Jesus Christ said. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, he, he said he told the individual apostles, go out and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he's telling them to individually go out and baptize. That that means what? That means he's conferring upon them the priestly power to say, Paul, Peter, Matthew, John, I baptize, I. He's given them his, he's the high priest, and he's given them priestly power to share in his high priesthood. And so this is why the, the Catholic extraordinary minister, or the minister, excuse me, not extraordinary, or the ordinary minister, which is a bishop or priest, they're supposed to say, I baptize you. They're in the person of Christ in persona Christi. And uh, it's uh, it's it's not a community. The only part of the communities were witnesses, and the godparents are witnesses, and uh, the parents, obviously, and the godparents are saying, we are going to raise this child up in the faith. That's the witness, part, or that's the community part of it. But the actual baptism, the actual sacramental grace, that's that's done by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the minister of all the seven sacraments, and the and the priest is just the instrument of Christ. Right. Yeah, and the the catechism is clear, Jesse, that uh, you know the church recognizes the baptism of um, baptism of blood and baptism of desire. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, you know, I thought, well, perhaps you know these these people these people and the parents they. They desired baptism for their children, so uh, the uh, yeah, the no, church, that's a good argument. The church teaches that baptism is necessary for salvation, but it also d- states the desire for baptism brings about the fruits of baptism without being a, a sacrament. Yeah, because it's not the parents' fault or the kids' fault that this pr- malformed priest from from uh, Latin America, uh, who was probably taught, you know, modernism that you can change the words of the liturgy, 
Uh, it's, it's not the parent's fault or this kid's fault. So you, I think your argument is a sound argument. The parents desired baptism for him. Obviously, they brought him to the church and made made preparations. And uh, and and even that that child, had he grown up, uh, and and now as a follower of Christ in the Catholic Church, I'm sure that he would, you know, he's desired baptism as well. He would have desired baptism as well. So. And and twelve sixty one says, as regards to children who have died without baptism, the church can only entrust them to the mercy of God, as she does in her funeral rites for them. Indeed, the great mercy of God, who desires that all men should be saved, and Jesus' tenderness towards children, which caused him to say, quote, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, end quote, allows us to hope that there is a way of salvation for children who have died without baptism. All the more urgent is the church's call not to prevent little children coming to Christ through the gift of holy baptism. Let's just take, let's just take an example. Okay, you have a, a, a baby that's gro- going to grow up and become called Adolf Hitler, you have another baby who's going to grow up and be called St. Maximilian Kolbe. Um, let's say they're both invalidly baptized by this priest. Mm. Well, the kid that's going to grow up to be the St. Maximilian Kolbe, uh, you know that he would have desired baptism, proper baptism, if he would have known that, wow, I wasn't properly baptized. Uh, he would have desired to be properly baptized. So he had the baptism of desire. The kid, the baby that grew up and became Adolf Hitler and was baptized, he could care less about baptism. He could care less about the effects of it. He's saying, if I would have had a choice as a baby, I wouldn't have been baptized. I don't believe in any of this stuff. My name is Adolf Hitler. I'm going to be the Fuhrer. So again, I think that baptism of desire, God knows who, like dismiss on the cross. He's dying on the cross. It, uh, he accepted Christ. He had a moment of contrition. Yeah. Obviously, he examined his conscience. He came to faith in Christ. He's in heaven. Now we call him St. Dismas, canonized by Jesus himself. You know if he would have been able to get off that cross and live another three or four years, out of obedience to Christ, he would have said, oh, oh, I'm going to get baptized because that's exactly what you have to do to become part of the body of Christ. But he couldn't get off that cross because he's hanging on that cross. Mm-hmm. So once he had that he had that moment of, of moral clarity that, man, I need Jesus. I'm a sinner. And, and he basically had that contrition and he had that repentance and, he conf- and, and that moment of confession. You know, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. That's accepting his lordship, his kingship. Mm-hmm. Had Dismas been able to get off that cross and live another five years, he would have submitted to baptism. So on that cross, I would say he had the baptism of desire because at that moment he wanted to follow Jesus in all things. Yeah. But some people will look at that and say, see, look, he doesn't need baptism. Look, they point to the exception to, to as to it could be normative. You know, that that's that's all. That's you right. Need. Okay. Bingo. It said, yeah, Ruben, you, you nailed it. That's the exception. It's like, for example, I, you can get into your house through an open window, but I'm sure you and your wife, when you guys come home, you don't come in through the window. You don't do that. You would if you lock your keys yeah. and all the doors are locked and you know that window's open. That's the exception. You're, 99.999% of the times, you and your wife are going to go through the front door with a key. Right. And so that's the way you get into heaven. The normal way you get into heaven is through baptism. That's the normative way. Uh, God can make exceptions like he did with St. D- Dismas, but most people don't accept Jesus as they're on death row and dying for their sins. Mm-hmm. And some people who have like a you know uh, let's say a conversion in the, in the end, um, and you know and and God's going to save them, 
but let's say they're they're healed of their infirmities and and they go on to live another five years, but there's now the chance that, that they could commit other actual you know actual sin, and um you know and and lose out on heaven. So, you know, some people are. I, I know my priest used to always tell us this when we you know we're praying for for a miracle for some someone who's sick in the parish and and um, you know he's, we should be praying for God's will and that the you know that he has, finds mercy on their soul because. You know, look at look even even Lazarus. He was raised from the dead, but he still had to die again. You know, we're we're all gonna die, so uh, it, it's it's better that we die prepared. That's right. Uh, yeah. Ruben, let me give you a perfect example. Fra- Francois Voltaire, who was a philosopher back in the Middle Ages, he was a historian. He was he considered himself one of those French Enlightenment thinkers. He was always he was famous for attacking the Catholic Church. He was baptized Catholic. He was just an apostate. He criticized the Catholic Church, uh, you know, in, in, on all matters. When he was dying, they brought him a Catholic priest, and he submitted to the sacrament of, of, of the anointing of the sick, or they called it extreme unction back then, and yeah. confession. Well, Voltaire regained his strength, and he went on to live a few more years. When he was dying again, the second time, uh, he didn't want extreme unction. Whoa. And apparently when he died... He was screaming. The lady that was taking care of him said that he was screaming that he was seeing the devil as he was dying. Wow. Yeah. So the, the first time he was right with God, but again, God, he, he became well, died a few years after that, and died seeing Satan screaming. Amazing. Let, let, let's not hope that's not us, guys. Come on. <laughs> oh. We'll be right well, back. Yeah. We'll be talking about technology on the other side. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And uh, we're going to be switching gears. Jesse, why don't you uh, intro this uh, this segment here? Ruben, uh, years ago in the 1980s, when probably most of us watched the Terminator series, Right. The first one that came out in 1984. Mm-hmm. I remember back then I was fairly young still. I said to myself, hmm, I think one day we are going to uh, technology is going to be our undoing. The human race is going to be, become so sophisticated in their own and so prideful and so egotistical. They're going to believe that they don't need God and they're going to invent machines and technology that's going to destroy us. I think we're getting close. I'll tell you why, Ruben. First of all, we see what's, what, what they've done with science with the uh, China virus. Okay? Mm-hmm. They tried to, uh, they've tried to, using their words, depopulate planet Earth. Uh, in other words, in simple English, they've tried to kill a whole bunch of us that they consider just simple Earth eaters. How? By, by fake science. Uh, or by, by, the, by the misuse of Frankenstein science. We've seen the misuse of Frankenstein science in the, in the industry of abortion where they've turned our doctors from healers to killers. Uh, we've got nuclear technology, several countries, you know, Russia, Ukraine, U.S., China, several others, that can destroy the world right now. We've got scientific experiments like uh, uh, transhumanism uh, where they want to make 
they want to connect human beings, their brain, to an iCloud and to the Internet so that they can live forever. Now, Ruben, years ago, there was a movie called RoboCop. And I thought it was pretty cool. I was entertained. You know, like most people were entertained watching it. Right. This robotic cop and stuff that was, you know, law and order and, and uh, fighting criminals. Well, now there's a company called Armstar that can, that can turn at least part of you, your arm, into a RoboCop, into a Terminator. Uh, there's a device called the Wearable Tactical Response System. Let me read what it says to you. And it looks like a it looks like a metal device you put over your forearm and your wrist, it, like 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 you got the arm of a Terminator. It says this: We are dedicated to providing the future of self defense in a wearable, hands free, less than lethal protection device for security, corrections, law enforcement, and the military. It says uh, the future of self defense. So forget about you know working out, lifting weights, boxing, wrestling, kickboxing. Forget about that. Just buy this, and you're dangerous. It says the Arm Star. Is the hands-free lethal self-defense system... Less lethal. Oh, less lethal. I've got to put my glasses on. (laughs) Worn on the arm. The forearm is protected by a standard platform equipped with a a 750-volt drive stunner. So it's it's a stun gun. LED flashlight. Green laser pointer. Probably to somebody's eyes to blind them, I'm guessing. An HD camera to capture evidence and identify assailants. By consolidating these tactical tools in a highly integrated wearable platform and getting rid of each component's individual harness, we're able to cut the weight by over 50%, thereby affording users more mobility, convenience, and capability for the user. Here's my take, Ruben, then I'll I'll flip it over to you. My take is, okay, if they're going to give this to law enforcement, and if this is the future of law enforcement, that's pretty cool for eight hours a guy or a man or a woman wears this, it gives them a position of advantage, definitely gives them an advantage over any suspect. Uh, I mean, it's going to be heavy on them. I think at the end of the shift, eight hours, their arm is going to feel, their shoulders are going to come out of their socket, but that's another story. Um, My problem is, Ruben, is there's going to be a black market for this like there is for everything, and you're going to get bad guys, Hells Angels, Mexican cartel, Islamic terrorists, uh, Crips, Bloods, uh, you're going to get bad guys to buy this in the black market, and they're going to make a, a a cop's job a living nightmare. What say Ruben Nava? <laughs> yeah, this is this is crazy, Jesse. Um, yeah, there's so much technology coming out. I I think you're right. This could this could lead to some improper use of it, and. Um, you know, there's uh, people can get stun guns now. They can get tasers and stuff like that now. And um, but this is uh, this is way out there. And there's there's gonna be probably uh, people who are gonna copy this. There are other competitors. They're gonna come out with their own, you know, their own uh, form of it. And just like they all the different cell phone companies, you know, uh, Apple. They they don't they don't have the whole market on it. There's a lot of Android users and. Um, so the same thing here. So it has uh, like a, a, a it's breathable nylon uh, area, so it, it kind of gives you some some air through there. It uh, it's it's got all kinds of switches and gadgets, so you can like like it said, you could take pictures of of, of people um, without having to pull out your camera. You've got it right there on your arm, just pointed and snap. Um, it looks like it looks like you could probably uh, it's connected up to a 
um, computer, so you can you can perhaps run people and get people's uh, license information and and you know wants and warrants on it. So there there's some pretty cool stuff. Um, there's a lot of things that that police now have on their MDT mobile digital terminals, and um, so this is just tr- trying to use technology, taking it to the next level. But uh, we'll see what what can become of this because there's a there's a lot there's a lot going on here, and it's just the first uh, the first model coming out. So there's probably going to be some uh, some glitches in it, but it says it has command control, battlefield management, police dispatch, and criminal processing software. Software, like I said, you can probably run uh, people's get their facial get their face and maybe a prior booking history, weapons and drug detection. So it could potentially detect, uh, you don't have to call the canine in here because this thing sniffs out your the dope. Uh, mm-hmm. Incident reporting, security tour verification, jail and inmate management. Wow, all these things. But with technology, could have they, they also has have their problems, you know. You have to have a, you know, have a backup so that there's... That when these things are down, you can still manage. You don't want to get so reliant on them that you're not, you know, you don't know how to do things old school, you know. Ruben, again, I think what you said is that you're going to have competitors, uh, maybe some, some uh, again, uh, Uber uh, capitalists that again, have no, no, no Christian scruples that are going to make a device like this as well. They can copy. You know, the engineers can copy basically the the protocol or the plans and make their own separate device. And they're going to sell it on the black market. And you're going to have bad people buying this. Again, just, just some the Mexican cartels south of the border, which have a huge influence here on the southwest. You think they're not going to buy this? I mean, money's no object to them. And so my my point is... Yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, if you can just keep this within the confines of law enforcement for eight hours a day, uh, yeah, I, I guess this would give cops a, a definitely a position of advantage, which is a good thing, and it would probably lessen the incidence of use of force when people see the cops getting getting out of their car and they've all get this, they've all get this, uh, you know, their right arm it looks like the Terminator. Uh, that's probably going to have a a, a, a deleterious effect on people not wanting to take on law enforcement when they get when they come in contact with them, but uh, I I just think it's not going to stay within the confines of law enforcement or the Department of Corrections or even the military. And and let me just say throw something even a, a bad nightmare scenario, okay? So all the cops get this and all the military get this, and so we're, they're all you know mm-hmm. they're all. They've all been, uh, you know, made like robocops. Well, what is Biden trying to do, Ruben? He's trying to get rid of all the good, patriot, faithful, conservative law enforcement and military out by how? If you don't get the jab, you're out. Okay, so who's going to stay there? Everybody who's jabbed up, who's all for Biden, who's all for the Great Reset, who's all for the globalists, who's all for Fauci, who's all for... You know, all, all things, uh, all things, uh, you know, Freemason. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have a bunch of malformed, faithless, you know, Bi- Biden bootlicking cops and military personnel 
that are going to have this RoboCop arm on the right arm. And guess what? Uh, they're probably going to unleash them against civilians at a given point in time because we don't want to take the jab or we don't want to take this, that, or the other. You, Ruben, remember, rogue governments turn police and military on civilians. I don't trust Biden. I don't trust the Democrats. And I don't trust this device coming out under his regime. Notice I said regime. I didn't because that's what he is as a dictator. Yeah. Uh and 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 all of a sudden he says, Well, I got a you know, ten thousand I got I, I robocopped all of law enforcement, all the military. Okay, now go city to city. Anybody who hasn't got the jab and hasn't got this, that, and the other, and the Vaxport, uh, bring them into custody. Uh, th- that's uh, I mean, you're probably saying, well, Jess, you're you know, you, 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 that's a doomsday scenario. No, that's a realistic scenario because we know what do rogue governments do? Yeah, they turn the cops and military against civilians. He's already done that with the the federal agencies, the alphabet soup uh, agencies, DOJ, FBI. So. ATF now they're they're trying to uh, pass the- that. That's why I don't like this, Ruben. Mm-hmm. That's why. Yeah, in the makes wrong sense, hand. right? Yeah, it makes sense. And uh, well, with this, we, we got the wrong president for this to, to be coming out under. We do. We're, yeah, he's he's bad news. Uh, he says uh, one thing and he does something else. He says, "I'm going to take full responsibility." That buck ends with me. The, the buck stops here. And then they asked them yesterday, uh, "What about the rising gas prices?" Hey, it's uh, it's not our fault. It's Russia's fault. <laughs> They're going to keep going up. Nothing I can do right now. Man, come on, just <laughs> man up. O- open up the pipelines like Trump did. Exactly. And, and let's become energy independent once again. Yeah. And the, the prices are going to drop down four bucks automatically when yeah. you do that. Yeah, but he, he's uh, so, I, I don't know what the left, those those uh, left wing nuts over there in the squad have on him because they, uh, he can't make a decision for himself to say, hey, look, this is what I'm going to do. And so he's beholden to to others that are running this country. China just came out and said that the, that the Russians are going in there because the Americans have uh, biohazard weapons, uh, biohazard you know plant facilities over there in, in Ukraine. That's going to be interesting. To see what happens. That's a wrap, Ruben. All right, Jesus nine one one two man car. We are E O W end of watch for ten seven. Up next, Gary Machuda hands on apologetics. Listen to the big guy. Uh, from the Midwest Command Center talking about high-level Catholic apologetics. We will see you next time. Same Christ channel, same Christ time. God bless you. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. Uh, Right now we're in the Ember Days, so uh, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday of this week.